everyone. Welcome back to Reality 2.0. I am Katherine Druckmann. Joining me today is Doc Searles, as usual. And today we have two special guests, a couple of my favorite people. I know I say that all the time, but really just about them. Um, we have Kyle Rankin and Sean Powers, who many of you probably know, because if you have been listening to us for a while, um, you know that both Sean Powers and Kyle Rankin were affiliated with Linux Journal, just like Doc and I were. But also, you may know both of them from elsewhere on the internet, and, and, and we'll let them talk a little bit more about that. But what we're talking about today is some basic security hardening, because I'm going to let Sean tell you the story, but um, I'll preface it with, with saying this. Sean, if you don't know, if you don't know Sean personally, if you only know him from the internet, is one of the nicest people in the whole world. And so it makes me a little, it's true. Um, it makes me a little angry when, when bad things happen to really good people. Um, but I suppose the silver lining is that Sean's going to walk us through some of the things that have happened to him recently, which he will get into, uh, so that maybe the rest of us can learn from them. So Sean, with that, uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about an experience you had recently. Yeah, so it, it started uh, about a week and a half ago. I, I woke up and I had notifications. I'm not crying. Sorry. That was a frog in my throat. Uh, I might Aww. cry, but I'm not yet. Um, so I woke up with notifications that somebody was trying to get into my Coinbase account. Coinbase is a, is a cryptocurrency online exchange thing. No, I don't have any cryptocurrency anymore. Uh, so it wasn't a really big deal, but it was one of those things you're like, oh, well that sucks. Somebody's trying to break into my account. And so I got up and I had a cup of coffee and I came into my office and uh, I didn't have any new email. So um, it took me probably about 45 minutes to realize that something was actually going on. Something weird was happening uh, because I had a couple other text messages about uh, like two-factor auth requests and stuff. I'm like, well, what the heck? And so I looked and still no email. Anyway, I won't give you my process of figuring out what went wrong, but somebody had broken into my DreamHost account. DreamHost is my registrar and also my DNS provider. I've been using them for over a decade, probably close to like 15 years now because I'm getting old. That, that actually was disturbing when I thought about that. But um, I've been using them forever. Somebody had gotten into the account. I don't know how, I don't know if it was a data breach. Maybe I was using the same password. I'm not really, I don't usually use the same password in multiple places, um, but somehow they got in, they turned on two-factor auth, I was locked out, and then they changed the MX record on my uh, domain, my brainofshawn.com domain that I use for all of my email, they changed the MX record to their own server and they were getting all of my email. And so you're like, oh, that sucks. That, that probably was a bad day. But if you think about it, when you go to a website and you try to log in and you say, I forgot my password, how do they start that reset process? They email you a link so that you can reset your password. So now I'm no longer getting those emails from all the online accounts that they were, I mean, they tried, I don't even know all the ones that they tried, right? Because they were getting the emails. Uh, but most of my online accounts, especially those related to finance, were, uh, were locked out because they tried and couldn't get in. And it took me, gosh, it, that was about eight in the morning. It wasn't until 2.30 in the afternoon that I finally got control of my domain back to turn off, you know, to set my MX record back and start getting emails again. They did it about midnight. So I was asleep. Of course, if you're going to do something like that, that's a great time to do it. Great in quotes, because it's a mean, horrible, despicable time to do it. But uh, anyway, so they had, I mean, a long time to do as much damage as they could. I, 
I mean, I, I've, I have lots of stories to tell about it, but the frustrating part for me was uh, with DreamHost, they don't have a telephone number to call. They have no way to contact support except through their online portal, which you access by logging into your account. Now there is a little link like, I can't get into my account. So you click on that and it sends a generic uh, support ticket into their standard queue that they may or may not get to at some point. Uh, so I ended up having to create uh, another account. That was actually Petros, his idea to create another DreamHost account so that I could log in and use their, their tech support to start the process of trying to get my, my information back. And it was a long process. I'm glad it was difficult to get access to my account, uh, but it was very frustrating as well. I mean, I was going through old credit card records to prove like this date, I charged this much and all that stuff to just prove I was who I was. And eventually I, I got it back and, and straightened out, but I couldn't believe how much of a nightmare it was just to have my registrar uh, taken out, you know, my registrar account taken over. And so that's that's the beginning of the story. So thoughts, comments, because I'm curious if your responses are uh, things that uh, I've taken care of since or uh, yeah. Anyway, that's that's my short, crappy last Tuesday story. Well, one, that's really crappy. <clears throat> uh, of course. Uh, two, yeah. I, so I've um, I've had a lot of I've had not experience experiences with takeovers in the same way, but experiences with issues in DNS uh, registrars more at a corporate level where uh, Everything normally with DNS, it's like a set it and forget it thing. You you think of a domain name, you use somebody sometime. It's very common for all of us to have these relationships going back however many years. Uh, but in addition to all of that, like the you you don't really think about when you first set up a domain. You're thinking about what's the easiest way to do it. You don't look into well, do they have twenty four seven like a phone number, an eight hundred number that I can call or whatever, right? You don't really think about that. Um, even at a corporate level, I've, I've in past jobs have had situations where someone made a mistake um, at, the, at the registrar level, had our domain locked, and then we discovered, oh, wait, we only have nine to five business hour. They only offer nine to five business hour phone support, and our entire company's down, you know, yeah. things like that. Uh, and so we better hurry and get responses back. And at that at that time, we had another interesting thing, which you probably ran into as well, because in your case, the email didn't work because someone intentionally moved it. Mm -hmm. um, in this case, what happened was when the domain was the domain was locked, and when it's locked, the same sort of thing where the, there's no records. So when you're trying to do email support, one of the things when we were going around telling everyone who was trying to resolve the issue, don't contact them over email or not from our work email because they won't be able to send one back, you know? Um, that they did anyway. And it turned in like a couple hours later, well, why aren't they getting back to us? This is really bad. Like, oh, well, because the email uh, is bouncing, you know, they can't. So yeah, I think one takeaway, and, and it's weird because for personal accounts, it doesn't, it often usually doesn't matter. You don't think about, do I need full support? Like I wouldn't necessarily put that as a, as a factor in choosing a registrar. But at the same time, when stuff like this happens, um, it's something that you, you, when you really need it, you really need it, you know? Yeah, also pay attention to what 24 seven support means because DreamHost has 24 seven support. 
once you log into their portal. <laughs> I cannot right. believe how stupid it was not to have that phone support or any option at all. In fact, they once I signed up, they have the they have an option to pay $15 to have somebody call you, which is cool, except I got a response saying, I'm sorry, we can't do security things over the phone. I'm like, great. So what is it that I would be paying for <laughs> over the phone support? But uh, yeah, getting the, the account compromised. Now, thankfully, uh, it was already locked. I already had my domains locked, so they couldn't like transfer them out, which would have been a, a nightmare if they were like the registrar was you know transferred somewhere else, because that is a lengthy, lengthy process. Uh, they just changed my MX records uh, so that the email went elsewhere. Uh, but simple things like, like two-factor or multi-factor off. When I started with DreamHost, there was no such thing as multi-factor off, right? I mean, it just wasn't a thing. It, nobody had invented that idea yet. And so now DreamHost does have that, but they were not diligent about telling their existing clients, hey, you should turn on two-factor off <laughs> uh, because I wish that I would have thought about it. But you said it's a set it and forget it sort of thing. I said it. I didn't even, I never think about my registrar, my DNS setting, unless I need to add a DNS record. So yeah, yeah, that was, that was extremely frustrating. Uh, so now, you know, that that's one of the takeaways, you know, if there's a bullet point takeaway at the end of this podcast, that's one of the bullet points, two-factor auth or multi-factor auth everywhere that you can, because uh, if somebody has your email, man, that's a scary power. Well, not and, just and everywhere, revisiting. but. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was gonna, probably you're about to say the same thing, but going back and checking your accounts, doing a, a basic security audit every X amount of time, just to make sure, you know, that, that all of your accounts, especially your very valuable accounts, like we were talking about, you know, having your Netflix account info compromise, like, okay, fine. So somebody got to mo watch movies for free. Hopefully they didn't get any, anything more, but, but your domain registrar is a huge, huge thing. Yeah. There are some well, things and, that are huge like that. Well, in for long-lived accounts like this, you know, security practices and security hygiene changes over time, what's considered common versus what's considered you know, going above and beyond. So like you said, 10, 15 years ago, not only was it not common to have 2FA, most places just didn't even have it as an option. So you couldn't have even done it if you wanted. Now it's considered fairly standard. And the same thing goes for what passwords people pick. I'm sure all of us, if we were to choose a password today, it would be a much stronger password than one that we picked for an account 15 years ago too. Yeah, and well, and well, that's another whole show, right? Like what makes a good password? <laughs> because um, it's I have humans can't know. I mean, that's one. Well, yeah, that's, that's been... oh, see, I disagree. <laughs> it's oh, I, mean, I think saying like a long phrase or something like that. Something well, yeah, I, yeah, that's if, if that's, you it, can't that possible, yeah. if you can't type it in with short-term memory, then I I think that you're likely to not have it like i oh so much to say password managers are awesome and i use password managers uh and i have actually for a long time used password managers but if my passwords are all 36 characters of random string of things and i'm in a place where i can't copy and paste i'll be honest i'm probably not gonna <laughs> not gonna use that i'm gonna i have long words with some you know characters and or numbers in there but length is a big deal and but that's, that's, like I said, that's a whole nother show about password strength. Um, but anyway. And I have a 10 minute, I have like a 10 minute Ignite talk, or maybe it's a five minute Ignite talk that summarizes a 50 minute talk <laughs> that just sort of says what I think about it. So if anyone wants to know what I think a, about is it. Is there a one minute uh, yeah. version of it? Yeah, you want to give it right now? I mean, we've got yeah. five minutes. <laughs> yeah, we'll make yeah my one minute 
ignite talk of my five minute ignite no, no, talk give, give of my fifty minute, minute talk. talk. Yeah, we've got five. Because well, I mean, basically, just comes con- one of them. Yeah, I mean, the takeaway with passwords for me, this in summary, is that most password policy that people were taught the last twenty years were based off of not thinking about users at all and how users will will respond to advice, but instead thinking about the odds of if of um, a combination of letters and numbers being put into a computer and being brute forced, which doesn't matter if the user is going to just put all of the uppercase letters at the beginning, pick a dictionary word and put two numbers at the end. It doesn't, you know. Uh, so because no one considered the how users would interpret that advice, they made bad policy. Users obeyed that policy, but still picked bad passwords, uh, then got blamed when the passwords were compromised, even though it wasn't their fault. So um, the takeaway beyond that is the best passwords today are ones you can't remember, but you have to have passwords that you can remember so that you can unlock a password manager that contains the passwords you can't remember. So um, I, ha- I use a password manager to remember random passwords that don't, you know, for any random website. So I, I can have a unique password per site because having a unique memorable password for every site is really hard to ask people to do, but having a, so put those in a password manager, make them random and generic. And also every website has different conflicting password policies. So you'll find yourself fighting their policy because they want uppercase and other people don't and all of that silliness. So use a password manager for most of your websites, but then a couple of things need a good password. You have to memorize the password to get into your password manager. You have to memorize the password to get into your computer to get into your password manager usually. And so for those, I like using a, a long memorable phrase. I don't care about uppercase, lowercase, or any of that stuff. Um, the longer, the better. When I had to uh, ha- implement a password policy for, my, for a, a past company, a credit card company, uh, for us and our, our con- customers to use, it was 12 characters minimum, no complexity requirement. Yeah. Uh, so it can be whatever you want as long as it's at least 12 characters. Now you can still pick a bad password with 12 characters, but by setting that as the minimum, and it one, it, one, it, it stopped people from reusing passwords. We had actually got complaints from people who said, but I already have a really good password I use for all my financial <laughs> accounts. And, and so I was like, that's proof it's working. That's how you can tell our password policy is working. So, uh, and they said, yeah, but it's only eight characters. So in any case, yeah. So, if you do that and encourage people to say 12 is the minimum, but please pick a longer one. I encourage you to use a phrase. Yeah. Uh, there are, of course, ways that people can potentially crack certain phrases, and there's some prior art for that, but it's still less likely, uh, in particular for things like your password manager or your computer versus an online account. So that's my now four or five minute uh, summary for how I feel about it is is if you have to do a memorable one, make it phrases. We all can remember a couple of phrases. If you want to do dice square things, which are you roll dice that have that correspond to words, and you have a ra- truly random, that's very strong. But you could also just do song lyrics that you know. Take a song that you know and cut out some middle section of it, and just type it. You know, yeah. and muscle memory will take over eventually, and you won't have to think about it. Yeah, my, I actually my... like to use a combination of diceware and not because I don't actually want to sit there and roll dice. But you can also you can kind of pick a string of let's say six to eight non unrelated nonsensical words to make your own little funny song out. You know, so there are ways to get some pretty pretty strong passwords that you can remember. In my opinion, I mean the three-second like version of that though. is you know correct horse 
battery stapler, right? I mean, that's the, yeah, the right. XKCD yeah. version of, of this conversation in, in two seconds. But yeah, so two-factor auth, multi, multi-factor auth, sorry to get off of the password thing, but this the, that was just day one of my my issues, right? I mean, so after I got back in and I and I got my email back, then I had to change passwords for hundreds of sites. You, you don't believe how many passwords and how many sites you log into until you're tasked with, okay, change all of your passwords. What a nightmare. And I'll be honest, as I'm going through them, I'm like, okay, my Adagio T account may be compromised. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> I just went from like, I, I mean, if they went to my adagiot.com website and tried to hack in it, I, I guess that's fine. Um, I gave up after a while because there's so many. So I think there should be an easier way to, you know, this is where the, the um, uh, open auth or whatever, where you had like one password that authenticated you elsewhere, that there were some nice features of that because uh, you could change one password and you, you know, it changed it for all the different sites. Uh, but anyway, that that's another whole thing. It was, it was a process, but it got worse this week. So do you want to hear like the next thing where it got worse? Oh, please. Okay. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm that so sorry, good, but yes. <laughs> that always makes a good story. Yeah. Uh, is, so is, is, yeah. if you thought that was a bad day for me, it was, but it got worse because this week I noticed that uh, my Evernote account had a random login from uh, actually two, one from Germany, one from Paraguay. Now, I haven't left my house much in the past year and a half. So I was pretty sure it wasn't me that was there. Um, and I'm like, oh, that sucks. And I, I know that's one of the passwords that I changed last week. So I'm not, I don't even know at what, what I did, to be honest. It was probably an already logged in thing. And when I changed the password, I didn't go to that thing where it says like uh, disconnect all already, you know, connected apps or whatever. That's probably why when I changed the password, it didn't keep the people out. So I'm like, okay, Evernote is compromised. So let's look. And while Evernote allows you to encrypt things, and I have some things in there that I'm like, oh crap. I mean, yeah, it's encrypted and I hope that that password wasn't compromised, but, but I have not always been the smartest <laughs> of people. And I have been an Evernote user for a very long time. So years ago, when my kids were young, I put a PDF of my tax return in Evernote. Mm -hmm so that I would be able to access it quickly. And there's no way to encrypt PDF files in Evernote. And is this all my fault? Yes, it absolutely is. But I'm a tech guy making these, these mistakes, right? And so now this week, I actually took days off work because now I have to go through and like freeze our credit on all of our social security numbers for not only myself and my wife, but this is old. All my kids' social security numbers are in my tax return. And so now I am going, my adult children, they're all in their twenties now, but I'm contacting them saying, Hey guys, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to lock your, uh, your credit accounts and I'm going to show you how to go in and unfree or freeze them. And then I'm going to show you how to unfreeze them if you need to sign up for an online account, but this is because it was compromised and everybody should have their, their credit frozen. If you guys don't have your, your credit accounts through like the three different bureaus frozen, you should do that anyway. There's no reason not to freeze your credit. Um, even if you haven't been 
compromised. But anyway, so that's that's what I'm doing now. And I'm looking through like, what else is there? There's another thing there. Uh, are you familiar with R clone, the program R clone? It's an open source way to access mm-hmm. like cloud-based storage and stuff. I use R clone and I pay for Google Drive for unlimited storage. And when you set up an R clone share, there's this huge string. It's a key pair thing. Guess who put that into Evernote? Because I didn't want to lose it. It's a big hunk oh of text. Yeah, and wow. that one I didn't encrypt for some reason, because I'm an idiot. Again, my fault, but it still happened. And so now I have to figure out how to, one, get the app like to authenticate with new uh, secrets and all that stuff for the, the Google app that I had to set up to use our clone, but also all of my files are encrypted and the key is now released. So now I have to figure out, so how am I going to unencrypt and re-encrypt terabytes of files that are on G drive? That's, I, I still have yet to do that. I'm, I mean, I'm sorry to say, I still haven't figured out even how to go about doing that, but I have to do all that. <sighs> So I have to say you're inspiring me to do a lot of things this weekend, and Good. I'm sure that will be mm-hmm. next weekend for the people listening. But um, yeah, uh, I anticipate some busy weekends out there. <laughs> so I what mean, other the- things are there like Evernote that, that people might have? I mean, somebody listening might say, oh, I don't have Evernote, but. Well, Microsoft has one, uh, OneNote, I think OneNote. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's. Um, I mean, I, any. I, I, I be honest. I I know the guys that made did Evernote in the first place, the Patchikoffs, but I, I never used it. So tell tell us what it does and what the vulnerability of using something like that is. Well, Evernote is a it's an app that syncs in the cloud uh, to keep notes. You can also keep files, but they can't be encrypted. Uh, it's basically just a bunch of your your text notes synced in the cloud. Uh, there are other mm-hmm. features. That's all I use. Is just it was like a, a way to sync notes in between apps and web browser and, and all the different things I use. Uh, and you can you can copy some text and encrypt it. I'm not positive that encryption is top notch as far as um, safety with encryption goes. Uh, but if so Apple and Microsoft have similar things. I'm I'm right? sure. I mean, with Apple, yeah. it's probably like the Notes app or something. Yeah, the Notes app and. Um... Uh, what else? Oh, reminders. That's another one. Um, and of course, the Apple Cloud, which I guess is fairly uh, secure. Um, well, un- I've never understood it, quite honestly. I'm paying for it and I never understood it because I don't know what's there and what's not and why and and the rest of it. You know, there's a, 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 a few questions. I'll just I, I wrote them down over here. What um, do you know why you may have been singled out? Do you have anything you can report to anybody about this other than what we're doing now? It's There's, interesting. Somebody, somebody who yeah. breaks into your house and, you know, and steals a bunch of your stuff and it's a police matter, but what do we have here? Yeah. So, so no, there's, there's nobody to report this to, uh, the, all of the IP addresses that I noticed. So, uh, my Firefox account was one that was compromised. Um, I don't really use Firefox all that much, but they used it because if you get your, somebody's Firefox account, they're, um, their passwords are not encrypted at all in the Firefox sync thing. And maybe maybe they are now, but of course not for, you know, when I started using Firefox sync when it first came out because I'm a such a trend setting new technology user. But anyway, now I didn't, I don't use it. So there really weren't passwords in there for me, but they compromised that and they changed the language in uh, Firefox to Spanish. So 
whoever it was was a Spanish speaking person. Also, my dream host account was switched to Spanish language. Um, but the IP address that hit the um, uh, those two things were in were, were from Hong Kong. Now, I know somebody said, oh, it's probably a VPN, but I don't who would who would VPN into Hong Kong? to attack something that doesn't make any sense to me usually it's the opposite somebody in hong kong will vpn out because you know they have the great firewall there um so there was a, a, a hong kong ip address uh then also like i said paraguay and germany um so yeah I, it, who knows and why it was targeted i i have some suspicions well i'm not a super public figure but slightly public right i mean and also I've written a lot about cryptocurrency and with the current boom in cryptocurrency, people are thinking, oh, Sean Powers, he's written a lot about crypto. He's probably loaded. Uh, yeah, spoiler alert, I'm not. So, <laughs> um, and I say that not only because it makes sense, but also because every online account I have that related to cryptocurrency, those were immediately like every, they did everything they could to get into them. Now, thankfully all of those accounts were protected with multi-factor auth, uh, by default, most of those places force you to, thank goodness. Uh, but also, even if they would have gotten in, again, I, I don't have crypto anymore. I sold it like Bitcoin at like a buck a piece. So um, yeah, <laughs> joke's on them, well, I guess. <laughs> and that explains maybe why some of your cloud uh, file accounts were accessed to, not simply to get credentials, but also in case you had wallets or other things. And you know, some people yep. are, are bad about sharing that sort of thing and syncing, having it synced up a lot of different places instead of having it be offline. So exactly. Like, especially once, once the wallets were like 12 words, you know, to like the seed phrase or whatever, to rebuild your wallet was just a bunch of words, huh, copy and paste that into Evernote. Sure. That makes perfect sense. Right. And I'll be honest, I did. It wasn't a cryptocurrency that I have any, you know, the wallet was empty. I did have one of those in my Evernote account. It was encrypted, but still, I'm not sure that that encryption is strong or, you know, trustworthy anyway. So yeah, uh, I, I'll be honest. I, I was shocked how violated and helpless I felt that morning when it happened. I could not get my own emails back and nobody could help me. It was, it was a horrible experience that I really hope that people will hear this and think, oh, that was terrible. And Sean, he's a pretty smart guy. And if that happened to him, I really should do things like turn on multi-factor auth in every account that I can, um, make sure my registrar and DNS stuff is protected, lock my domains, all of those things, because um, it's shockingly uh, easy to get your whole world messed up. Well, and in particular, because of how, without multi-factor authentication, how authentication what it boils down to is it's either someone guessing a password or owning your email. You know, most sites have a, I forgot my password. So if you look through authentication workflows, it all boils back down to like, you've already said this, but it boils down to, can someone click a link? And then if they, if they can access your email account, either through the more complicated way that happened to you, or just by guessing the password to the, mm -hmm. to Gmail or whatever, uh, then they can reset things and get access to a lot of different things. You know, it's, it becomes it becomes the replacement and multi-factor among other things helps protect you against that too. So even if someone's doing that workflow to reset a password, most sites are good about if you have multi-factor enabled, you can't just use the reset password email workflow to turn it off. You have to do something else. For sure. And that's, I mean, people probably don't realize the significance of having a different password for every account. You mentioned earlier, like, oh, but I have a really good password, right? Uh, I think a lot of people use slight variations on one or two passwords. And um, 
the problem is if one site get, gets compromised, I mean, you hear about data breaches every day and that's the significance of a data breach. If you are using the same login and password for multiple sites, if one site gets breached, they will try that login and password on every site they can think of. And if you're using the same password, boom, they're gonna get in without any hacking at all. They're just gonna use the password that they found from another data breach. So having different passwords on every site is, is vital. Well, and, and you, you touched on something else, which is to not make it based on a formula. Mm. You know, if you, if you say, well, my password's technically different, but it's all based on some sort of, like basically if someone knows one or two of your passwords, can they then figure out what the rest are? If the answer is yes, then do something different. This is a, they did a study on this years ago, like 10 years ago that I pointed, that I point to sometimes when people are talking about old bad password policies, like for example, password rotation is a policy that I, absolutely hate forcing people to change their password every month, every uh, three months, whatever it is. And that's because among other reasons, besides the fact that it encourages you to pick a bad password, uh, typically, because you pick what'll happen is you'll pick a really good one the first time, <laughs> then it'll expire. And you're like, but I are, I just remembered that one. My muscle memory set up, you know what? <clears throat> I'm not going to, I'm going to pick a simpler, I'm going to pick something simpler this time because I have to keep picking new passwords every every a month or so. So, but they also found that if um, they did a study where if they looked at, they had a, a sense of what a previous password was, they could predict, I think it was within like 80% of the remaining passwords for users. If they knew one of the passwords they used um, and they were on a rotation, they could guess what the next password was going to be within like 80% odds. So yeah, for all of those reasons, you have to, it truly has to be different and unique. Yeah. And I used to, I, I used to be a proponent of use a, use a formula so you can figure out your password on every site. You know, this is before password managers were a thing. Now it's important not to do that for exactly that reason that you just, you know, because it's important. Another thing. And I just, I, so I got a text message while you were talking and that reminded me. So one of the potential multi-factor authentication things is getting a text message, right? I mean, that's, you know, like you'll, you'll log in and they'll say, we're going to text you a code, enter the code that you get via text, right? I mean, that's, that's a real common form of multi-factor authentication. Uh, this is something that happened to me a couple of years ago and actually changed the policy at CBT Nuggets, my employer who pays for my phone. What happened is somebody called into Verizon and told them that they were me and that they, that they lost their phone and they have a new phone and they need to get it. And they had, they had some of my security questions, apparently, I, I guess. I don't know. Later on, I found out that they, they answered everything that Verizon asked them. They answered correctly. Like probably it was like things like my birthday or something that could be publicly figured out or something like that. Anyway, um, the person, the, the operator at Verizon felt that it was hinky. And just even though they answered all the questions correctly, did not let them have my my phone service, right? They just disabled my SIM card completely. So uh, thankfully, whoever that operator was used their, you know, trusted their gut and just said, no, this doesn't feel right, and just disabled my account. And because what happens, of course, they were planning to use that to gain two-factor authentication access, probably to Bitcoin accounts, you know, or whatever, uh, because that's kind of the big thing everybody tries to steal. So another thing, uh, so I've talked about two-factor auth on, on a lot of accounts uh, using different passwords. Another one is with your phone, contact your cell phone provider, whoever that is, and make sure that it's very difficult 
to transfer your service. Right now at CBT Nuggets, my employer, there are only two people in the whole company who can make any changes to accounts and they have to have a special code word to do it. And it like takes time to do and stuff uh, because for that exact reason, somebody could hijack your phone number and suddenly are you with your phone number getting your text messages, including two-factor off messages to your phone. So anyway, that was one more thing that happened to me like a year and a half ago or two years ago. Yeah, when when I was um, in charge of security uh, at a credit card startup, one of the things that I was responsible for was coming up with all of the call center workflows for re-authentic how to authenticate somebody. And it's surprisingly challenging to do well. It's, it's really easy to, to do it badly, uh, but it's really challenging to do well because there's all of these different edge cases and scenarios where people will legitimately lose a thing and you have uh, some method of their authentication. You have to figure out how you gracefully fall back to that from that to something else in a way that a legitimate person could still get access to their account, but an illegitimate person couldn't fake it. And it's really tricky, not just with two-factor authentication, but one of the things that we we opted for, um, in addition to other things, is part of the workflow was always notify all of the existing contact methods that a thing happened. Uh, so if something significant happened, for example, say one big one was, you know, what if someone decided to change their mailing address? That's a totally legitimate thing that happens, but it's also for credit cards is something that someone can do for fraud. And so our approach was, okay, well, if someone does fully authenticate and seems like they're the right person, even then, when if they want to change something critical like their mailing address, then we still send in a actual letter to the old address saying that it happened. And the reason is, is that then if it were fraudulent, they at least have a heads up that it happened. The same thing, we would send the notification to email to the email account. And if someone changes their email account, we'd send a notification to both the old and the new and you know things like that to factor in. But yeah, in terms of two-factor authentication, uh, SMS is definitely better than nothing. I Sometimes in the security community, you'll see a lot of people dump on SMS for two-factor mm-hmm. authentication because there are ways around it, like you've mentioned. But it's still generally speaking better than not having any second factor Definitely. At all. Because Be- you, yeah. it's one more thing you have to compromise. Even if it is compromisable, it's one more thing to compromise. Yeah. And, and the other thing is now there's a lot of services are offering multi- different choices for how you can do your second factor. And so mm-hmm. in at the moment, uh, the, probably I would rank the order is the, the most secure if they offer it is something called U2F, which is you, uh, you get a special little security USB dongle uh, that supports this, this protocol. Uh, they're these days, they're relatively inexpensive. I want to say ten or fifteen dollars for like one a of YubiKey? these. Like a YubiKey, like a YubiKey kind of. Thing? It looks yeah. like it's like a YubiKey. The YubiKeys, some YubiKeys support this as well. Okay. Uh, but so that's the most secure because what happens is you log in using a computer, and they say plug in this device. You plug it in, and the authentication uh, happens between the remote server and the key itself. Uh, so that's the most secure. The second most secure is probably a traditional inner a six digit code thing where you could use a YubiKey or you could use something else. But the reason that's slightly less is that somebody could then uh, sit in the middle essentially and say, hey, could you, I'm on the phone, enter in, tell me your six digit code or pop up a screen that has you type it in. So mm-hmm. that could be potentially faked. And then it falls back to things like the, uh, like SMS, entering the six digit code from SMS or whatever. Yeah, I, so I, 
I, I'm a big fan of the six digit code with like Authy or Google Authenticator or whatever, you know, the 30 seconds to before it, you know, refreshes. One of the things about that though, and, and I'm setting up my family with, uh, I'm bad in that my kids probably don't use password managers uh, for their online accounts. And again, they grew up when that wasn't an issue. Uh, so I'm sure that um, any tech savvy person now will teach their kids how to do things well. But anyway, uh, so now I'm going to go and show them how to do all that. And one of the things with the, the six digit code is um, it can be a real pain if you lose your phone or, you know, learning how to back that up was really vital for me. And what I really, really like myself, I have two phones. Uh, one doesn't even have service. It's a, it's a Google Fi phone that I have paused uh, in case I want to go somewhere that, you know, I, I need that Google Fi service. And so, um, but I use that so that I have the, the six digit thing on more than one device in case I lose a device, I still have it. Um, but also password protect those things because by default, there's no password protection on them. You just like somebody grab your phone, hit the app. Oh, look, there it is. That's disturbing. Um, and yeah, so Authy is pretty easy to back up uh, to multiple devices. They actually store it in the cloud, but uh, it's it has to be encrypted. It, nothing can be unencrypted in the cloud. If you forget your password, you're screwed. Uh, but at least there's a place that as long as you know that password for Authy, you can get it on another device You know, if, if you lose your device. Uh, Google Authenticator isn't quite as great. I think it's an older technology, Google Authenticator, that uses the six-digit thing. It's the same sort of... Uh, thing, but their way that you back it up is you, you take a picture of the QR code from one phone to another, which is something. Um, but yeah, I, I, I so so I, I have a question about uh, password managers because um, I won't say the password manager that I use, but it um, uh, they decided that uh, having an app was a bug and that. Uh, feature they needed was to move the entire thing that wasn't an app onto a browser. So now they're entirely in a browser, meaning that I have to go from one tab to another or one window to another in the browser in order to use their service, um, which I, it struck me as a, a value subtract, but I don't know if that actually is a value subtract is, is having, I'm actually thinking of getting rid of them. And so, and I don't mind mentioning brand names if you guys want to, I just don't want to crap at anybody uh but crap away but I think, what's that <laughs> crap away <laughs> yeah well I'd, I'd rather hear who's good and why but this one decided that you know you, you don't need an app anymore you know so um and i don't even know what they have on the phone i mean uh I, I do have thoughts on that because I, so I use LastPass and, you know, I've always mm -hmm. used LastPass. I, it, it's not the best, you know, I even wrote an article about password managers, actually Linux journal before it closed down and, and LastPass um, wasn't necessarily my, my top pick, but I used it and I, I liked it enough that switching wasn't worth it for me. Um, mm -hmm. But I, one of the things I like about LastPass is that there is an app and it integrates really well with the mobile operating system. And that may sound like a weakness, but there's also the human factor, right? If it's a pain in the butt to do, people aren't going to do it. You know, when I'm, I have to show my, my 20 something girls how to use a password manager. And if it's something where they have to open up a browser with multiple tabs on their mobile device and copy and paste between something while they're logging in, they're not going to do it. So mm -hmm. uh, the integration that LastPass has, I really like it. And this isn't a plug for LastPass. It's just what I use. Uh, but their integration is one of the things that I actually really do like about it. One of the things I, I mean, it's interesting to me that I feel with an app that 
that is actually more mine than the browser. Um, and that it's independent of the browser, but suddenly having it as a tab in the browser doesn't seem independent anymore. And that's pure perception on my part. I'm sure the back end of the thing is no different actually, but it's, uh, it's, it's weird, but I, I'm, yeah, what I'm using by the way is not LastPass. So I Kyle, use last you, pass. you're using uh, two LastPasses out of four. 50% yeah. of our people are on LastPass. <laughs> what about you? Kyle? I just use a local, a local password manager that doesn't, that doesn't have cloud support. And, mm -hmm. and go through the pain of synchronizing things if I need to between multiple devices, which I tend to not, I don't create new accounts all the time. So it's is it a branded one or is it one of your, uh, your own or of some kind or what's the, it's a, it's just like a, it's a Linux based. Um, well, I've, I've hopped around from the client side a couple of times. The back end is this little local file that's in what's called the key pass database. Yeah. There's a lot mm -hmm. of different front ends now that support this backend because if you want to, it's been very popular for a long time. So when people create new clients, they allow you to import that. But um, I've been using some form of a, a front end client behind this KeePass database for a long time. What I like about it is it's it doesn't do some of the probably some of the autom automated things that a lot of others do in terms of automatically filling in forms and that sort of thing. Although there are some clients have plugins that integrate with Firefox that let you do that, I guess. But mm -hmm. uh, what I like about it is that I, I like the password generation feature that it has. Mm -hmm. Most Almost all the clients have some means of where you plug in whatever the, the dumb password policy is that a website requires. And it generates a random password that matches that policy for you. And you can just copy and paste it in. Uh, mm -hmm. The other thing I liked about it is that it, I have a client already that works with it on my Librem 5 phone. So I was able to just have the same file both on my phone and on my laptop and everywhere else. And it all just sort of works. Yeah. And once you achieve total convergence, it doesn't matter. You don't need to sync around the cloud, right? You have one device to rule them all and it's all there. Right? Oh man. I've, so this is, this will be for some future post, but I've just spent a full week doing full convergence uh, personally with a laptop dock in my phone and it is the future. But that's that's that'll be for yeah. some future. So, so full nice. convergence is what exactly that where you. So what I did, I have a like a, a laptop dock which just has a screen, a keyboard, and a mouse, and a battery, you know, and some mm -hmm. USB plugs. It doesn't have any Intel, any CPUs really of its own or RAM or anything. Um, and I dock my phone into it, and my phone now uses that bigger screen, the a physical keyboard, oh. and the physical mouse. But oh, all cool. of the files and the in this resources are being used from the phone itself and it charges the phone while it's using it. So the last, this last week I've been using that instead of my personal laptop as a test to see, could this replace what I did my, on my personal laptop? And Kyle, do you remember there was a, I can't remember the name of it, but back when, uh, you, you know, the device, right? You would pop your phone into it yeah. and it was that exact thing. It never took it off. It was because... the Atrix. Yeah. The Motorola okay. Atrix had a laptop. Okay. I had a Droid 4 phone and I even had a Linux journal article where I talk about some of that stuff. And then I followed it up more recently on Purism site with where I referenced the old Linux journal article and yeah. I talk about why that old, th that approach failed in the past because it was making a phone screen bigger. Yeah. So you just yeah. get these phone apps that are bigger and kind of lame instead of making desktop apps smaller. So yeah, when I, when I, again, I wasn't, didn't want to do this about this, but it, it, <laughs> it, it, it come up and now I'm using it all the time. Uh, but yeah, basically when I dock it, Firefox is desktop Firefox. So when I move it on the big screen, it's just it's just Firefox. When I move another app 
from my phone, I drag it over. You can drag it over with a mouse or with the keyboard. Uh, when I move it to the big screen, it morphs and changes into the full desktop version of the thing. Yeah, and that's cool. it's super cool. Very cool. Very cool. Actually, I should plug. We have a we had a whole episode about this where Kyle talks about it in detail. Although I'm sure it could be updated because it was back in September. It was episode 38. Mm. I just looked it up on digital convergence. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, now it's you know. Now there's I'm progress. I to remember the name of the phone that did that. I could not remember the name of it. <laughs> yeah, there've been so yeah, many. Yeah, yeah, it didn't years. last very long. The the Atrix in the laptop docks, and then it then everyone discovered you could hook up other like Raspberry Pis to it, and then all of the discontinued laptop docks were all sold out in like a couple of weeks. <laughs> you know, you could get them really cheap because no one wanted them until then. Yeah, that's funny. funny. <sighs> so so let's talk a little bit. Can we? Um, I mean, we've kind of we've gone over a few things that people could do, but is there is there anything that we can sort of remind people? to do in terms of further steps they can take just to protect themselves at a very basic mm. level? Because we talk about a lot, you know, like- <laughs> Don't you know, be this guy. <laughs> yeah, don't be like Sean. Don't I'm be sorry, Sean. Sean. Um, oh, it's so sad. But no, I mean, seriously though, I mean, we, you know, we, we just in our last episode that, that came out today, um, we talked about how you, I, I feel like you have to be a cybersecurity expert these days to not just get screwed. Um, but even people with tech skills, like legitimate tech skills are, you know, you can still get completely owned. Um, so, so like, you know, in that case, what hope is there for, the, for everybody else? So I just wonder if, you know, we could kind of turn this into as much as possible, a learning experience for. Um... Yeah, the, the big one for me, I'm a, I'm a tech guy. I, I consider myself a tech guy, not the best, but, you know, I'm, I'm tech savvy. Um, looking back at old accounts and uh, things that you did in the past and make sure that they're up to date things like you know make sure your registrar if it supports two-factor auth turn it on um, make sure you're not using the same password other places uh, doing the right thing from here forward isn't enough because crap you did in the past like saving a tax return in evernote when like 2003 will bite you in the butt at some point potentially so i think doing a a, a look back at all of your um, existing accounts, even that you maybe don't log into often, uh, that's a really smart thing to do. Well, and also sometimes these old um, these old accounts that you you maybe never have even used in, for years and years, sometimes those sites get hacked themselves, and their databases get dumped. and And depending on how old the account is, it may your account may have existed in the days before people commonly encrypted passwords in their in the server's database. And so often it'll happen, this old site gets hacked and then everyone's passwords it discovers are in plain text or they're just uh, using a, a hashing algorithm that's easy to crack. And so they're eff effectively in plain text and then everyone then takes that password and then assumes rightly that a lot of people probably use that on a lot of other sites and then they float around. And then the, the other thing that happens is they end up in shared password cracking databases that everyone that's really into password cracking scene shares uh, because they're all known good. What's more valuable than knowing these are actual passwords that were used in the wild. So they combine them with all the others in case there's any, any new passwords to be discovered and, and then use that whenever they're brute forcing things. Mm -hmm. Or use it in a sextortion email. Sorry, that was a, that's a little bit of a tangent, but I think every, I don't know if, if all, everyone here got those emails, but a while back, I think everybody I know, at least everybody at Linux Journal got these emails that 
and one of the te- the tactics they use to make you think that you've been hacked, which you haven't necessarily, is to include a previously hacked password. So some some old password that you've used at some point in your life that's gotten out in one of the, you know, one of many data breaches, um, will show up in these these threatening emails that say like you know we. We have all of your data. We have, you know, this, that, and the other thing that they, of course, don't have. And but here's to prove it. You know, we also have this password. And you go, oh my god, they have my password. Uh, you know, because it's it's a it's something that you've used in the past. But hopefully, if you're like me, you can recognize it as you know something that you've since changed a long time ago because you didn't know any better back then, and it was like six digits. And anyway, so yeah, so the, you know the people can use that kind of old leaked information against you in all sorts of weird and creative ways i'm wondering if do you guys see a world in the future where we don't have to screw with passwords passwords and logins there's a lot of effort being put into making a world like that uh there's there are many people in the security industry that have for many years talked about passwords being dead and wanting to replace get rid of passwords altogether because mostly because of the problems in the past with policy. But to me, if we're talking about the main, the two strongest ways that we have to authenticate are something you know and something you have, with something you are being pretty lame usually, and even though that's becoming incredibly common, but to me, that's always like the third choice after you do the first two is the something you are. So we're talking like your signature or your fingerprint or your face or things like that. It's better than nothing but not as good as the other two. So if we're saying now we don't want to do the something you know, then we're just left with something you have or maybe augmented by something you are. So that means everyone's carrying around a little, like a little USB dongle or something or something, some physical object you have to have to prove that you are who you say you are. Uh, That by itself is is okay, but I, I don't, I still think that there's a place for something that's in your memory uh, that can be kept secret, at least to the, at least until everyone can wear a hat that reads what's in your memory. Um, once that happens, then maybe not. But until then, I still think that there's a place for having a secret that only you know that's stored in your brain instead of on an object. Removing one of the multis from multi-factor auth seems like a, a step backwards, I guess. And yeah, that's, uh, Kyle said it much more eloquently, but getting rid of passwords is, is cutting off something that has value, I think, when and there's not a great replacement for that uh, in and of itself. Yeah, the the SSI self sovereign internet world, which I've hung around and actually wrote a piece about it, that's going to go in a magazine called The Reboot in a week or two. Um, people in it, not everybody in it, but people in it, claim that when you break everything down to verifiable credentials, I have a verifiable credential that I have an account here. Um, and I can present the verifiable credentials from a wallet that's independent of any device um, and is itself secure and do it in a, minim- in, a, in a minimized way. It isn't so much about logins and passwords, but uh, going through the world in a way where you're only revealing what needs, needs to be known and in many cases is anonymous or pseudonymous. You don't need, you know, here in the physical world, we don't, we are in fact, we're not, we're known to be human. You walk into the, you know, my example is you walk into the coffee shop, you know, your name is Mike and the guy in front of you in the line calls himself Mike to the barista, you may give him a different name, but they don't need to know your actual name, right? And, and uh, the, the 
we go around not being identified most of the time. I think it has a lot of promise. It's also still fairly early, but there's a lot of development going on in it. And it's all over the place. It's not exactly coordinated. So it just sort of bears watching. But in a lot of those cases, you're still like, that's that's a something you have, I think, credential mm -hmm. where what you right. have is some file or hash or key that's yeah. stored on either a, an object or on your file system or on your phone or something, right? Mm -hmm. Or in a secure enclave or, or whatever it is. And, and you talk have to about... back it up with something you know. In that yeah, case, yeah. to me, know. like it's, it's strongest if you have all three. If you can mm -hmm. only have two, I would, I still like to lead with something you know, followed by something you have, and then have the something you are at the, at the end if you want to add an extra, extra thing. I mean, the problem is the bi with biometrics is they're not secret. Uh, right. They, yeah. They, the entire is, security is based on the idea of how hard it might be for someone else to mimic it, and most of them, it's it's not necessarily that difficult to make a copy. And you also have legal issues too. I mean, if if you can be compelled in court to give up a fingerprint or or you know compelled to unlock a device with your face, then that seems like it's less secure. I mean, it's it's yeah, basically is, is your face something you have or something you know? I'm, I'm not that's clear. Something you are. Oh, something you are. Something you are. Yeah. Yeah. Some, yeah, okay. All the something you are, you know, methods, I think, are problematic for certain people. It depends on where in the world you live and, and, and you know, who you're trying to protect yourself from. But, but there are a lot of questions, you know, about being compelled. You cannot be compelled, I believe, still to give up a password, but you can be compelled to give up a fingerprint or to, to allow somebody to use your face to unlock something. Or so is my understanding. My last weird bit of, of thought here, maybe it's advice, maybe it's bad advice, but it's something that I'm doing is, um, you know, Kyle mentioned having one password that you can remember for unlocking the rest of your passwords that you shouldn't be able to remember. And that's really wise. But that one password, as I get older, I find sometimes I forget the craziest things, right? Like a password that I've, that I've typed in a thousand times, all of a sudden I'll be like, I don't, re I don't remember my password and I don't think that I'm necessarily going senile, but sometimes we just have those moments. So while it seems like against everything that I've ever told anybody in my life, I'm to the point now where I am physically writing on paper, a password and putting it in a safe and a physical safe yep. uh, because that happened. And also I'm somebody who got into a car accident and lost his memory. So, I mean, it, it, a lot of crap has happened to me. I just want to say, as I realize that now, um, but uh, yeah, so it, it seems an, an antithetical to everything. In a fireproof safe? You. Fireproof safe. Yeah. I also had my house burned <laughs> down. <laughs> well. Yeah. So um, it is funny that you say that, but yeah, fireproof safe is something that I'm actually ordering this week as part of my holy crap, what happened to me uh, thing. So yeah, fireproof safe to write down. And it hurts to see a password written down. I don't know about you guys, but if I see a password I, written down, that causes me physical yeah, pain. It feels weird. Yeah. I, I have that's 15 that's of them that I'm looking at right now because I put them on a sticky. Oh. And this is because, this is because my password, no, this, here's the thing. My password manager, auto-generating auto thing doesn't work. So I write them down, put them there, and I keep them there long enough so that I, I've used it a couple of times and I go away. And I'm also getting rid of the so, password manager. So it's like, it's a, it's a stopgap, but you're right. I mean, it's the wrong thing, but there, there, there it so, is. So, I mean, I, I'm an advocate for, for those passwords that you must remember that are complicated, but in particular ones that are complicated that you don't have to recall often. 
Yeah. You know, there's some things, for example, unlocking my, like logging into my computer, I have a long password, but I type it in every single day. So mm -hmm. even if I forget it, my fingers don't, like my muscle memory knows what it is. But there are also things that you only have to recall when you need to recover something. And that may never happen, or it may happen every three years or something. And then, then those, you definitely should write down, if not the password, then some sort of hint or some sort, some sort of way to jog your memory to what it is at the very least. So I, I, I will share my own embarrassing security stories about mm. this. So a couple of years ago, I, um, I started work at Purism and I'm in charge of, I'm chief security officer. So I'm taking all of the best security precautions and that involved, that includes uh, using smart cards to store my GPG keys. So I create a brand new secure GPG key offline. I transfer it to, I make backups onto USB drives, multiple in case one fails. I then copy the, the smart cards. I copy the, the key, uh, the secret key to a smart card. And I only use my keys to decrypt, encrypt all of that from a smart card. I put the USB keys, it's in, an, it's in a file system that's encrypted and I put it in a safe, very secure. And like, this is in a very important password. This is all of my Purism credentials are all based on this new GPG key. So I'm gonna pick a really good brand new long password. And I'm going to encrypt that backup with that because what if someone were to break in and to a safe and steal my stuff and they, they need to be able to get into that. Okay, no problem. So I stored in the safe, uh, two, two years go by, maybe a year and a half goes by. And I go on a trip and somewhere along the trip, I lose my YubiKey that happens to have that key. Like, well, that's, that happens. That's fine. It's inconvenient, but it happens. Now all I need to do is go get one of my two backups. One of the two USB drives will work just fine. And so I get it and I slot it in and I start trying to decrypt it. I'm like, wait, what was the passphrase? What was the passphrase? Mm. And I swear to you, I went through every possible thing I could have ever thought of. I spent a couple of weeks because it's very important key. Obviously I spent weeks. Uh, I would take a break and then come back to it and just tried. I had a text file full of all these different iterations in case I tried to be clever and mix a thing up or do something, you know, and I just went through every possible thing. I still, I didn't throw away the, the, I still have those drives just in case I ever think about it, but I eventually had to abandon that key the key that all of my purism. So if now everyone that's listening to this can look through, because this is all public record, right? Because if you look mm -hmm. on key servers, you can see when people change their keys. You can see which key it is. You can see that I stopped using it at a certain point. You can see at a certain point, I had to generate a brand new key, send an email to everyone saying, hi, guy in charge of security here. I'm really bad at security. Here's my new <laughs> GPG key uh, that now you need to trust. And I'm going to be now using going forward to sign everything. So, so what did I do differently now? Well, I pick a password and now I have made a note somewhere uh, to jog my memory in the future for what that password is. Because again, I'm only recalling, I'm, I will only ever recall it if I have a big problem, you know, a big, like some sort of disaster key recovery kind of thing. So that sucks, man. But I totally see it happening, right? Where and I so thought now this I'm was thinking, going. Yeah, now I'm thinking two safes, one at my farm and one at my house. <laughs> but but don't and forget the, the combination to the, the safe. The passphrase for the each USB key can be with the other one. <laughs> mm. 
Oh. So, I was like, I know we're running out of time, but I got to tell my quick story about sticky notes, Doc, because you said sticky notes. So uh, I was the, the technology director at a school district uh, in my 20s, and I just discovered password complexity, and it was going to change the world because if everybody had to have a complex password, there would never be the possibility of people cracking passwords again, right? It was just brilliant. So I enforced it. I turned it on. And then the next week I went up to central office where all of the paychecks are created. And like the superintendent's office was all of the secretaries, every single secretary had the sticky note with their complex password stuck (laughs) right to the monitor. And and they were facing, I mean, they were facing when people walk in because it's like the secretary's like, oh, this is what you're looking at on the on the monitor. And so right there was their password. And that was the day where I realized that complex passwords are not the answer <laughs> to everything. Yeah, that yeah. is a life lesson right there. So I, you were right. We are actually running out of time. I do have one last question. I mean, I think just one. Um, and that is to backup codes. Like, recovery codes. A lot of you know, Google accounts will have them LastPass, you know, it's a series, a series of a list of, of numbers or something. Um, now I have a whole ritual and weird thing that I have that I do to deal with them, but I'm wondering what, what is the best practice for dealing with recovery codes? I, what I do with them, one, I think it's important to make them because you need a way to recover accounts when you get in these weird situations. So I think it's smart to have them. Yes, that, that's, uh, yeah, first step. <laughs> yeah, so step one, I would, if a place offers them, I would generate them and, and use them. What I do is I, I have a notes field in my password manager for those accounts, for that account, and I put it in the notes. And so I just have, I do the same thing with security questions because I mm. hate security questions. So if someone gives me a security question, Nine times out of 10, I would generate a new password and paste it into the security question field and then store that password in my password manager for the security mm-hmm. question. Okay. Um, sometimes it, just so it's easier to read off if I ever have to, I make it a little bit easier, but, but I don't like security questions because they ask you things that you can find out on the internet about someone. Mm-hmm. So instead I, I hack that by changing it to something mm-hmm. that you couldn't find, look up because it's something I just made up. Smart. Yeah, I actually, I, I do, I do make uh, a lot of use of the notes feature in my password manager. So that makes me feel good that you've uh, endorsed that approach. <laughs> yeah, last pass. I, I yeah, think you said that's what you use. They do have a really yep. nice notes feature mm-hmm. too. Yeah. So I use I it for a lot of things. Yeah. I, I'm Andy. also a fan of printing those things out and putting them in the safe that I'm going to buy this week. Uh, for the me same too. <laughs> yep. I like that approach and as well. I think that's for GPG key. Oh. The same thing yeah. goes for GPG keys. There's that's another common thing that they recommend that you do is actually print out the private uh, primary key for GPG, print it on a piece of paper or two, and then put it in a safe or a safe deposit box or because it would take less, even though it would be a long time, it would take less than the two weeks of guessing, right? To type the thing yeah. in by yeah. hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I would and, much and very, I would very much long prefer time. And here's the thing you should definitely not do is take a screenshot of it and put it in Evernote. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. that, that loops the oh. show pretty well. Evernote. Yeah. Well, thanks y'all. Thanks for joining us. I think, I, I think that, that people will have learned quite a bit from this and I think it's really helpful and I'm really sorry that this happened to you, but if we can get the smallest amount of silver lining, I think, um, well, I'm not going to say it was worth it cause it was absolutely not, but at least it's something. Yeah. Could have been worse for me. It could have been a lot worse. So thanks y'all for joining us. Okay. Everyone for listening. Bye.